All right, let's look. I want to start probably with uh, Colossians. We'll probably look at a couple of different, or a few different passages. But um, our, our, our topic again tonight is, is, uh, is Jesus. Who is Jesus? Um, so we're looking at the person of Jesus Christ, and we talked about Jesus, of course, last Wednesday night. Kind of focused in on uh, the incarnation, of course, since it was since it was Christmas week. So I'm going to briefly recap a little bit of that, and then talk a little bit more about the the deity of Christ tonight. Um, so let me let me do this. Just mention a few things here. Like I say, we we discussed a little bit last week. Um, we talked, for one, about the fact that, that Jesus was born in history, right? That's when he came. He, he's a historical um, figure. was born at a specific time in a specific place and in a miraculous way. He was born of a virgin. Again, we, we dealt with all of that uh, last week. Um, An old quote here from Wayne Grudem says, The virgin birth of Christ is an unmistakable reminder that salvation can never come through human effort, but must be the work of God himself. Because only God could produce a person, a virgin conceived. Um, some of the proofs that we looked at, in other words... Um, how do we know Jesus was born of a virgin? Well, the term is used, but uh, like I said last week, one of, one of the criticisms that, that comes against Christianity is, uh, is in the form of criticizing that word. Uh, in Hebrew and in the Greek, the term can just mean young woman or, or woman of childbearing age. It's translated virgin in, in Matthew, translated virgin in Isaiah, um, correctly so. So what I did last week was show you some passages. I'm just going to mention here real quick just to... to kind of show that, that, that Matthew definitely uh, is, is teaching that Christ was conceived in the womb of a virgin, even though, even, so it, it, even if you didn't use the term virgin, it, it would have to be understood that way because of the way Matthew describes it. For example, verse 18, Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, he says, it was before Mary and Joseph came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Matthew 1.20 that which was conceived in her, that is in Mary, is from the Holy Spirit. Um, Matthew one twenty five, talking about Joseph and Mary, it says that he knew her not. That is, Joseph did not know, he knew her not, knew not Mary, until she had given birth to her firstborn son, which was Jesus. Um, and the term knowledge there, knew, is a, uh, is a euphemism. I mean, it, it, it's, he's talking about... Uh, Sexual relations. They had no sexual relations until after she had given birth to her firstborn son, Jesus. So even if you took the word virgin out, the concept is absolutely there. So he was born of a virgin, conceived in a, the womb of a virgin, born of a virgin, conceived by the Holy Spirit. Um, he was fully man, and a, had a, a human mother. He takes on human nature. We're told... In the genealogies, that he's a, in other places as well, but it's borne out there, that he's a descendant of Abraham and he's a descendant of David. So he's referred to as the son of David. And he is the long-awaited Jew, Jewish Messiah, Jesus the Messiah. So Jesus is fully, fully man, born, and not, obviously not identical, uh, you know, his... Birth, the way that it comes about, is not identical to the way that it happened with us, but um, very much like um, the same the same way that you and I were born. Very, you know, conceived in the womb of a woman, um, carried for full term, born of a woman, a descendant of Abraham, a descendant of David, and um, he's fully fully man. That's why he's referred to as the Son of Man. That's a, that's a title emphasizing his human nature, son of man. So we, we call him son of God. We call him also son of man. He called, referred to himself as son of, son of man. But also, he's fully 
God, fully God. Now, this is where it gets really tough for us to uh, us to grasp. So, if you, um, I forgot to do this. I'm going to have to ask Leslie to go copy something for me. Everybody in here can read regular print. Anybody need like super large print, extra? Okay, I, I got it just in case because I, I know. I think we can get by with that one if you just run, I don't know, 10 copies maybe. This is where it gets really hard for us to grasp when you talk about the human nature and the divine nature together. Fully man, we can understand that. To some extent, we can understand fully God. We understand God is God. He's not like us but in, in, you know, in many ways. But when you put the two together in one person, fully God, fully man, and that's what's happened with, with Jesus. He's fully man, has a human nature, but he's also fully God. He has a divine nature. He's not a created being. All right, I'm going to talk about that a little bit in a minute in, in Colossians. Um, but uh, he's, he's always existed. He's always been. The person who became the man Jesus Christ, who was born of a born of a virgin, born of Mary, roughly 2,000 years ago, the person who became that man already existed from all eternity. John, in, in his gospel, starts out um, uh, with, with a description of that. In the beginning was the Word, and he uses the term Word there as a, as a reference to, um, to Jesus. It goes on... It's going to be talking about Jesus, but he uses that reference to the eternal Word of God. We, we say the second person of the Trinity. Again, sometimes we refer to Him as the Word, the Word of God. Sometimes we refer to Him as the Scripture does. Sometimes we refer to Him as the Son of God, as the Scripture does. Um, but he, he has always existed. He never came into existence. He did become a man, take on human, um, human, human nature and human flesh, and become a man. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, John says. And the Word was God. Or you could, that could be translated, um, and John's emphatic about it, the, the word order there is, is God. God was the Word. Um, you have to rearrange it in, in English to make good, good grammatical sense. But uh, in the Greek, they'll, they'll, where they want to put the emphasis that's where they'll put the word that they're emphasizing. They, they, their word order is not like ours. You know, we have a um, certain way we have to word things in order for them to make sense. You know, it's got a got a uh, subject's got to come before the the verb. Usually, when John threw the ball, you wouldn't say. Um, although down south, you know, I've heard they say things like, you know, I threw the horse over the fence some hay. You know, well. Most people don't talk that way, you know. <laughs> That's a confused word order. It makes it sound like you threw the horse over the fence, right? Instead of the hay. But that's what they do down, I'm told, in South Louisiana. I threw the horse over, over the fence some hay. Well, <laughs> in Greek, you can mix the word order up like that for emphasis because it's, it's, easy, it's easy to tell by the, by the spelling of the words what is the subject and what is the the um, um, uh, the what's what's the subject and what's the um, uh, the object and so forth. Um, they do that with spelling. We don't do that. All right. So John is emphatic. <clears throat> God. He puts that word first. God was the word, and the meaning there is the word was divine. He's he's describing his nature. He was he was divine. He was God. In the beginning was the Word. That is, He, he was before everything, anything else was, He was. That's why He uses the term in the beginning. In the beginning, um, I like to paraphrase it this way, in the beginning, the Word already was. So when you talk about the beginning where everything came into being, you can go back to Genesis 1, that's the same beginning that, that John is referring to in John 1.1. 1, 1. You think about the beginning when everything came into being, the Word, John says, already was. So he's making a point there. He wasn't created. In fact, he goes on to say in verse 3 that he created everything, and there wasn't anything that was made 
except through him. It was made by him. So the word always was, he was in the beginning with God, and he was God, or the word was divine. It could be translated. So he's fully, fully God. And, and we find out, again, in John 1, you read just a few verses down, who's he talking about? This word who always was, who was with God and who was God. You get down to verse 14, and he says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. He's talking about Jesus. He's talking about Jesus. So Jesus is the eternal word of God. He's fully fully God. Now, in Colossians, I, I want to um, look at a couple passages here that you can pass them out if you want. Just hang on to that for now. When you get it, we'll look at it in a minute. Um, in Colossians, um, there's a heavy emphasis on the, the deity of Christ, but there are some verses here that um, get used to to deny the deity of Christ. And if you've ever had much of a conversation with a Jehovah's Witness, then you then you've probably already been uh, been exposed to this. But um, but I want to show you something in particular. Uh, well, I'm gonna start with verse 13. Verse 13, Colossians 1, 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son. Now, obviously that, first, that He there in verse 13 is he's talking about God the Father. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness, and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. That would be Jesus. In whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, the next he is talking about Jesus. Verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God. <laughs> That's an awesome statement right there. There's a lot of, a lot of these things, you know, we... You look at a larger passage, and we read over so many things um, that are just uh, awesome and profound. Of course, it's hard to deal with them all, like in, in an hour, right? But uh, think about that for a minute. The image of the invisible God. Something that's invisible is something that, that can't be seen. And yet, Paul is saying, um, here we, we get to see the image of God. Kind of like, took a snapshot of God. There, there, Jesus, there He is. There's God. There's the fullest expression of God that, that has ever been given to man. It's more than a, um, you know, it's more than a, uh, oh, what's the term I'm looking for here? It's more than a likeness. So when he says he's the image of the invisible God, he, he's talking about uh, an exact, in fact, the writer of Hebrews says this, but an exact representation, a perfect image, an exact image, perfect picture uh, or stamp or something like that of, of, of uh, the invisible God. Now look at what he says in, verse, in the rest of verse 15. The firstborn of all creation. He's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Now that, that verse right there, the second part of uh, Colossians 1.15, it's one of the verses that Jehovah's Witnesses are trained to go to when you start talking about Jesus being God or, or being the second person of the, of the Trinity, the Godhead. And, and they will tell you, um, he's a creature. He was created. Paul said, he's the firstborn of all creation. So, you know, what they're saying is, um, he was just the first creation and then everything else was made um, by him or through him or with him, something of that sort. He's the firstborn of creation. So they would say, you know, just like you've got, possibly you have a, an older brother or an older sister. They were the firstborn, but you're all brothers and sisters, and you all came from the same source, your, your parents. Um, they're just 
older than you. They're the firstborn, but they're of the, they're of the same substance. Of, you know, they're the same nature. So they point to this and they say, see, Jesus was created. He's the firstborn of creation. Well, that's not, not at all what, what Paul is saying. Um, I, that'll be obvious in the next verse, really. But let me say this too. That the concept in, in, in the ancient cultures, uh, Hebrew, Hebrew culture and probably Greek as well, the concept of firstborn has to do with uh, primacy. Um, the firstborn had special privileges. They were preeminent. So it has to do with uh, superiority or, or authority. It's, a, it's, an, it's an analogy or, or a metaphor um, to describe Jesus' um, preeminence, that, that he's, he's above us, in fact, above all of creation. Let's look at it again. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created. Now, let me just use a little logic here real quick. If all things were created by him, I mean, if, if that statement is to be taken absolutely, and I think it is, if, if all things were created by him, then there's no way um, that he's created. Because if he's created, he's one of, the, one of the all. He's one of the all things. And he could not have created himself, uh, which uh, is really close, closely akin to a lot of the arguments that get used <laughs> when it comes to... Uh, uh, Evolution and that sort of thing. That, you know, the world just came out of nothing, kind of created itself. The problem is, for, for something to create itself, it has to exist before it existed. And uh, that's a little bit uh, nonsensical. By Him, all things were created. That's because He already existed. In the beginning, was or already was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And He created all things. Like I said earlier, even John even John goes on to say that in John 1.3. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. Here, the way Paul says it in uh, Colossians 1.16 for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him all things hold together. So, so Paul says he's the firstborn of creation. And then the rest of what he says here really helps helps understand what he meant by firstborn. It means that he's, he's preeminent, he's different, he's above all of creation. It was all made by him. All things. All things seen and all things unseen, whether visible or invisible. They were all made by him and for him. Or the way he says it in verse 16, through him and for him. Everything was created through him and for for him. And he is before all things. Now, that could be taken chronologically, because he certain was, certainly was before all things. In the beginning was the Word. Or in the beginning, the Word already was. He was chronologically before all things. But also the idea there, again, is just is a preeminence. Like a firstborn child would be uh, in that culture, would be considered um, to have certain privileges over the rest. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. So Paul is saying all things were made through Him, and He keeps everything together. He's the Creator, and He's the Sustainer. He's the source, and He's what holds everything together. He's what keeps the world in motion. He's what keeps our lungs 
pumping. He's the one who keeps our heart beating. He's the one that, you know, we were talking about hurricanes a minute ago. He's the one that orchestrates all of those things, all, all of what we think of as natural phenomenon. That's him doing that in the, in the seen world and in the invisible world. In the angelic and demonic realms, Christ holds all things together. He created all of those things, and He holds them all together. He sustains all things. If you ever stopped, if you, if you ever just stopped working, just stopped doing, stopped sustaining or maintaining, um, boy, all of, all of creation, including you and me, would just become a sudden black hole. I mean, just non-existent, I'd be it, over with. All things were made through Him and for Him, and He's before all things, and in Him all things hold together. And He is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. Now, Paul uses the same term there uh, for firstborn. Um, Here's another little comparison. By the way, the last time I had a Jehovah's Witness stop at the house, um, you know, he, he... as they're trained to do. You know, he takes me right to Colossians 1.15 and he starts explaining, you know, Jesus is just, he was created. He's firstborn among creation. And, uh, and I, I, I said, well, that's not, that's not talking about chronology. It doesn't mean that he was born, uh, made before us, rather. Um, and I said, in fact, you know, I told him, look, look down in verse 18. Paul says he's the firstborn from the dead. Now, He's talking about the resurrection there. And yet, you know, Jesus, chronologically, Jesus was not the first one raised from the dead. Lazarus was raised from the dead before Jesus was raised from the dead. So why does it call him the firstborn from the dead? And he didn't know. Uh, well, and the answer is because um, that's, he's not talking about chronology <laughs> He's not talking about it in verse 15. He's not talking about it in verse 18. He's talking about preeminence. So out of those who were raised from the dead, like Lazarus, like um, the widow's son, the widow of Naim's son that Jesus raised from the dead, like uh, those raised from the dead in the Old Testament um, who were raised before Christ chronologically, Yet among them, he's, he's preeminent. And that's true also of the ones that Peter raised and Paul raised and of you and I who um, at the resurrection day will be raised. Jesus is the firstborn from among the dead. He's the preeminent one. He is the beginning, the beginning the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Now that's Paul's point. Paul's point in verse 15, as, as well as verse 18, that Christ is preeminent. In fact, he's dealing with a lot of things in Colossians, like um, uh, bad Christology. You know, they, they were, they were under, understanding Christ to be uh, some sort of phantom. You know, he just, a, he just a, uh, appeared to uh, take on flesh. He just appeared like a man, but he didn't really become a man. And, and Paul is saying, oh, no, no, no. Um, he's definitely God in flesh. And uh, um, some of them thought of him as, you know, like sort of like the Jehovah's Witnesses do today, as sort of a, uh, a lesser God. And um, Paul is, so Paul is making the case, no, He's the creator. He's the creator. He's the sustainer. And he's the preeminent one. Firstborn of all creation. Firstborn from the dead. That in everything he might be preeminent. In fact, all things were created through him and for him. Everything that exists, exists. That's something to think about. Everything that exists, exists for Jesus Christ. That's why, you know, outside of... Um, the knowledge of Christ outside of knowing Him, um, no, nobody's ever going to really find any, any real meaning in this world. If you don't come to the understanding that you're created for Him and you're designed to live for His glory, 
then um, you'll, you'll, never, uh, you, you'll never really have purpose. You'll never really understand your purpose in this world. We're made for Him. All things are made for Him. And then he goes on to say, verse 19, For in Him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. That's, that's Christ. That's Jesus. For in Him, in Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through Him to reconcile to Himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of His cross. And you skip over to um, chapter 2. He makes a similar statement in verse 9. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. That's in Jesus. In Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. So he's fully man, but he's also fully God. He's the eternal Lagos, the Word, the Word, the Word of God, the Lagos of God. Okay. Um, any, any thoughts so far? Any Comments? Questions? Anybody encountered some of that? Somebody trying to tell you that Jesus is not God? Mm-hmm. That's right. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Yeah, that's what he that's what he put us here for, for his glory. She's right. That's good. Amen. Amen. Very good. Let me show you a couple verses in, in Revelation, the book of Revelation, then I'll talk about that sheet you got in your hand a little bit. I mean, that's, that's just more of a... of, of a, just a help, an aid, if you... We'll, we'll look at it in a minute and take it and look at it. If you want, it may help you out in thinking about these things. Um, look at uh, Revelation 1, 8. Revelation 1, 8. And by the way, he's called, in, in, in verse 5, he's called the firstborn of the dead again there. This time it's John, uh, the author here, from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings on the earth. Verse 8, um, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God. So this is God the Father speaking to John, um, John the Revelator. Call him here. Um, he's the one, John. This is the uh, the apostle John. This, this God is giving uh, this revelation to this this uh, everything that's in this. It's actually a revelation of Jesus Christ. Jesus being revealed um, to uh, to the apostle John. But God speaks here. God the Father speaks. Verse eight. I am the Alpha and the Omega. That's that's like that's the same thing as saying A to Z. Um, Alpha is the first character in the Greek alphabet, and uh, omega is the last letter in the Greek alphabet. So it's like we use that same expression 
a lot of times when we say, you know, um, Walmart has every, it's got everything from A to Z, right? We, we mean it's got the whole, whole shebang, whole nine yards. You know, it used to be not, not A to Z, but everything. Sears used to say Sears has everything. That was their, that was their motto. But a lot of times the way we, we, we say that is A to Z. Alpha and Omega, he's everything, beginning to end. I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, says the Lord God. So that's how God refers to himself to John here. The Alpha and the Omega, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Now, you look down at verse 17, and John sees Jesus. He has a vision of the glorified Christ. When I saw him, verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead, but he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. All right, a couple things here. This is... uh, Jesus refers to himself as the first and the last. Um, that, that phraseology is used twice in the book of Isaiah, uh, Isaiah 44 and Isaiah 46. Uh, again, it's God, the Almighty, Jehovah, Yahweh speaking. says, I'm the first and the last. Here Jesus uses that same terminology, and it's the same concept we just saw in verse 8, A to Z, Alpha and Omega. I'm the first and the last, and the living one... I died, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. That's Jesus talking. Now, in, let's see. In chapter 22, Chapter 22, verse 12. Again, this is Jesus talking. Behold, I am coming soon. Chapter 22, verse 12. Behold, I am coming soon, bringing my recompense with me to repay each one for what he has done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. Notice that. This is Jesus talking. Back in chapter 1, verse 8, it was was God the Father. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord, who, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. Here Jesus uses the same phrase to refer to himself. I am the Alpha and the Omega, <clears throat> the first and the last. And he repeats that phrase again as well, which he used in chapter 1, verse 17, and, and also um, is used by Yahweh in, in the book of Isaiah twice. He's claiming deity. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the first and the last. No, nobody else can say that. He's God. The beginning, he goes on to say, the beginning and the end. Um, you remember Paul in Colossians said, He's the beginning, the firstborn from among the dead. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's God. He's fully God. A lot of other passages we could go to, like John 8:58, where he tells the Jews, before Abraham was, I am. It's a very clear statement using um, the very uh, the name of God um, that uh, that God gave Moses when He said, "You, you tell them I am sent sent you." When when He sent Moses to deliver the children of Israel, you tell them I am sent you. In John eight fifty eight, Jesus picks that up uh, when He's talking about Abraham and the Jews mock Him and say, "You don't, you're not even fifty years old. You you've seen Abraham." And Jesus says, truly, truly, I tell you, before Abraham, before Abraham was, I am. He's God. He's claiming to be God. Um, Philippians 2, Paul says he was in the form of God. Uh, and he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. So he's fully God. All right. Now what I want to show you with this sheet is, um, you bring my copy back? Hand them all up. 
Oh, wait a minute. I got the, uh, I got the big ones here. I just wanted to give you some idea of the way the, the church has tried to uh, deal with this and articulate it, um, which, which is very helpful. Um, one thing that, that um, we have to remember, and I you know, mentioned when we first started tonight, we've got 2,000 years of church history behind us. Well, that sets us at a great advantage because, you know, there are things that come up all the time, and a lot of times we're, we're tempted to think it's, it's new, it's something new. Um, and most of the time, uh, the church has already dealt with it back there somewhere, and you do a little digging in history, and, and, you, and you find that, that they, uh, the church has spoken uh, concerning many things. Um, they had to in, in, in uh, a lot of times because of uh, heretics. It's just like sim- similarly today, we're having to speak out uh, about um, gay marriage and that kind of thing because we're getting, you know, we're getting hit in the face with it from our culture, and, and, and we're getting asked about it and so forth. So we're having to we're having to talk about it. Well, that kind of thing has gone on since the beginning of the church age, of course. And so the church would respond, um, often in written form, and, uh, and, and those things are often very helpful. Um, this uh, one at the top here, the Nicene Creed from the Council of, of, uh, of Nicaea in uh, AD 325. Um, And there they were, there, I think there the primary uh, heresy that they were dealing with was um, similar to what we're talking about tonight, that the Arianism, which denied that Jesus was God. But here's a confession that came out of the, the Nicene, uh, the Council of Nicaea, that has been handed down for, uh, you know, 1,700 years now, roughly. <laughs> I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible. And in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven, and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary, and was made man, and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried, and the third day he rose again, according to the Scriptures, and ascended into heaven, and sits on the right hand of the Father, and he shall come again with glory to judge the quick and the dead. The word quick there means living. The living and the dead. Whose kingdom shall have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets, and I believe the Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, I I believe in one Holy Catholic and Apostolic Church, I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Um mention real quickly before we go back to the top. The term Catholic there, in fact, you'll notice it's not capitalized. It means universal. I, I believe in one universal and apostolic church. It's not talking about the Roman Catholic Church. Um, <clears throat> talking about the, there's one church, like Paul says in Corinthians, there's one body. Let me go back to the top. And, and you notice it's, it starts out, I believe in God. Then secondly, second paragraph, I believe in the Lord Jesus, one Lord Jesus Christ. And then it talks about his death and, and uh, our redemption. And then you get down to the last paragraph, I believe in the Holy Spirit. So, so this is a, um, a confession of faith regarding, uh, primarily regarding the Trinity. We it's saying this is what we believe as Christians. I believe in God. I believe in the Son, Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe in the Holy Spirit. Now, let's go back to Jesus, since that's what we're talking about tonight. One Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light. You see, what they're saying is, He's God, He's fully God. God of God, light of light, 
very God of God, which is like saying truly, in other words, very, very God of very God, begotten, not made, which is what uh, the heretics in their day was, uh, were saying, the Arians. Um, in fact, they wrote a little ditty um, <laughs> that they, they sang, There was a time when the sun was not. There was a time when the sun was not. Um, directly in contradiction to what John 1 says. In the beginning, he was. Um, so, but they were claiming that he was not, not God. He was made. So the church is coming back and saying, um, he was begotten, not made. Being of one substance with the Father. Again, they're, in, they're emphasizing his deity being of one substance with the Father, by whom, that is Jesus, uh, Jesus is the by whom here, by whom all things were made, which we just saw in Colossians, and again, John 1, 3. So they're making a clear, emphatic statement um, in response to the wrong teaching, and they're saying, look, true Christian doctrine is that Jesus is God. The second one, you can see the date there, is from a later council uh, at Chalcedon. Uh, and it's, it's been referred to traditionally as the definition, of count, uh, the definition of the Council of Chalcedon. And it's from A.D. 451. And this, again, is dealing with the person, primarily with the person of Jesus Christ. Uh, this time, it's got more the, uh, um, his, his dual natures in view. In other words, in other words, he's truly man, fully man, not only truly man, but fully man, and fully God at the same time. That's what uh, is known as the hypostatic union. Hypostatic union. Sounds like, you know, if you touched it, it'd shock you, but that's not, not what it is. It, hypostasis is a, a Greek word for um, essence or substance. And, and so the hypostatic union is um, he's, Jesus's um, has the full nature of God and the full nature of, of uh, humanity, uh, human nature and, and divine nature, united in one person, Jesus. That's the hypostatic union. <clears throat> so here's what they, what they pin. Therefore, following the Holy Fathers, we all with one accord teach men to acknowledge one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ at once complete in Godhead and complete in manhood, truly God and truly man. You see what they're saying here? He's complete in Godhead and he's complete in manhood. He's not lacking anything in, in terms of deity. And he's not lacking anything in terms of humanity. He's truly God, truly man, consisting also of a reasonable soul and body, of one son, and what, you know, what they're saying there is he, he, had, he truly had a, a human um, soul um, and, and a human body. He still does. And consisting also of a reasonable soul and body of one substance with the Father as regards his Godhead and at the same time of one substance with us as regards his manhood. Truly God, truly man. Like us in all respects, apart from sin. In other words, they're saying he's like us except that he didn't sin. He never sinned. Like us in all respects, apart from sin. As regards his Godhead, begotten of the Father before the ages, but yet as regards his manhood, begotten for us men and for our salvation of Mary the Virgin, the God-bearer, one and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, recognized in two natures, without confusion, without change, without division, without separation, the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union, but rather the characteristics of each nature being preserved and coming together to form one person and subsistence, not as parted, not as parted or separated into two persons, but one and the same Son and only begotten God 
the Word. Lord Jesus Christ. Even as the prophets from earliest times spoke of Him, and our Lord Jesus Christ Himself taught us, and the creed of our fathers has handed down to us. And they're referring back there to the Apostles' Creed, which I didn't print for you, but it's, it's the, uh, the oldest known creed. Um, so, you see how emphatic they are concerning the two natures, how emphatic they were in, in, uh, in trying to articulate um, the, the, uh, the reality of it and the truthfulness of, of, uh, of the person of Christ. Fully God, fully man. And they say that about 12 different ways in here. I didn't really count, but several different ways in here. And they're very emphatic about it. And then they say uh, a couple of times, the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, uh, a little further down, it's one and the same Son, only begotten, God the Word, Lord Jesus Christ. They're saying, we're talking about this one same person. It's, it is He who has um, the, the full nature of God and the full humanity um, joined in one person. And I like, if you look about right in the middle, under where it says Mary, the Virgin, the God-bearer, look at that next line. Only begotten, recognized in two natures. And I really like the wording here. Two natures without confusion, without change, without division, without separation. So there's no schizophrenia. Jesus is not, you know, He's not two persons in one. He's one person with two natures. You say, well, that's hard to understand. Absolutely, there's only been one, one person in all of history that that is true of. He's one person with two natures divine nature and human nature brought together in union in one person perfectly yet without confusion and without separation so you can't confuse the two they're two distinct natures and yet so so they're distinct but yet at the same time not divided Jesus is not divided without um, change without division without separation the distinction of natures being in no way annulled by the union. So the fact that they are brought together in one person does not, um, what they're saying, that doesn't mean that they're not genuinely two natures. He's, he's at the same time God and man. All right. I know, that's, that's, that's a lot right there. You get, you get, and it always, one thing that always fascinates me about this is that uh, these documents like this is, that the, the, the time and the effort that these men would put into um, formulating these things and, and the care, you know, they wanted to get it right and they wanted to um, express it right. And it just seems like oftentimes the Lord just really blessed <coughs> and enabled them to do that. And uh, anyway, so that's the, that's the definition of, of Chalcedon, uh, talking about the hypostatic union. Two natures in one person. So, if you can't remember all that, you can remember this. He's fully man and fully God. Fully. Complete, like they said here. He's, he's not lacking anything in divinity, he's in, in, in his deity, and he's not lacking anything in terms of humanity. He's like us in every way except for sin. He never sinned. Any comments on that? Or questions? Anybody want to stand up and quote it without looking? No? No, no probably not. No. Me neither. <laughs> it is it is very helpful, I think. You know, just you take just a little phrase uh, phrase is without confusion, without division. You don't mix the two natures in a, in a wrong way, but at the same time you don't divide them. I, I remember talking to this longtime friend of mine. He's a member of the United Pentecostal Church, and um, you know they they they're in error on this because they teach that Jesus um, they they, te they they deny the Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They they say that God is one person, 
And what, when you see Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in the Bible, it's just different names, different titles is usually what they say, different titles for the same person. So I asked my friend one time, because um, you know, we, we were having one of the many discussions that we had about that, uh, I asked him, you know, who died on the cross? He was talking about, you know, God can't die, God can't die. Well, who, who died on the cross? And he, he used Paul's language from Timothy, used it wrongly, but he used it. He, uh, well, at least he was taking it to a wrong end. But he said, um, the man Jesus Christ, the man Jesus Christ died on the cross at Calvary. God can't die. And I said, well, who, who was the man Jesus Christ? I mean, see, you can't divide the two natures. He's fully God and he's fully man. The man that died on the cross was the man Jesus Christ, but he was also God, the eternal Son of God. That was, that was the eternal Word who came in the flesh that died on the cross. We just read that in Revelation, by the way, and I showed him that verse. You know, Jesus said, I am he who was dead and is alive forevermore. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. <laughs> He's fully God and fully man. Yes, it's hard to understand, but it's still true. Any comments? All right. So now you can say, um, you probably already were, but, but you can say God is awesome because He's awesome. He's awesome. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we do thank you for your word, and we thank you for letting us in on these amazing truths and uh, even being able to think about them. We know that we, we will never, as long as uh, we're in this world, be able to get a full grasp of them. We will never even get a full grasp of it. Uh, I don't imagine when, when we're in eternity. But, uh, Lord, you've, uh, you've made them known to us. You've shown us things about your own greatness, your own character. Lord, we, we thank you for that. And we do pray again, Lord, use us in the remainder of this week. Uh, Lord, as we go about our routines, use us to bring glory and honor to your name. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.